Welcome to Life in the Land of the Ice and Snow. My name is Heather, and today I'm here with my co-hosts Shana and Diego. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. And our guest today is Maddie, originally from the UK, but that's about all that I know. So, Maddie, why don't you give us a, a little introduction about where you're from and why you've moved to Sweden? Hi, everybody. Great to be on the show. I am originally from a little town called Watford, uh, just outside London, which recently got promoted into the Premier League, which is quite exciting for everyone living there. Um, and I moved to Sweden six and a half years ago. So my background is working as a journalist. I was at the BBC for 10 years, but very curious to live abroad, always had this um, idea that I'd like to, to work abroad as a reporter and I'd been sent to Sweden and different parts of the Nordics on various reporting assignments and so I'm someone that did fall in love but with the region rather than a particular person I'm not a, a love refugee as people are often called um, so I eventually moved here to take a job as editor of the local Sweden trying out management getting a taste of digital media but I went freelance five years ago and haven't really looked back so that's a very short version of of why I moved here and why did I like it during those assignments well it's the nature it's the fact that you can be in a capital city but still have that beautiful greenness all around you and be by the water and I'm a big fan of the innovation in this region and I do think it's a better place to be a woman than the UK I like to think of Maddie as the unicorn you said like you are the one that came here not for love not for study not for a job necessarily, but for the love of the country. Yeah, and actually I know a few of them. You, you, you do find these people and I think somehow you, you find one another. Um, and I was attracted to the job, but the place was definitely a massive draw for me. I don't think we've really covered very well uh, in this podcast about the equality here in Sweden. And you said that you feel like it's a good place to be a woman. Could you give us some examples of why you felt that way? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the stats with me. And this is quite ironic because I've written quite a few articles along the lines of why Sweden isn't as equal as you'd think and why equality isn't as great as you'd imagine. Because we do have this perception of things like you know shared parental leave more affordable childcare. I think Sweden does have the highest proportion of working mothers um, in the EU or one of the highest proportions and I recently recently read a blog um, along the lines of the fact that even the concept working mother doesn't really exist in Sweden because pretty much everyone works um, I don't have kids myself so when I moved here I didn't really think I'd necessarily benefit from this aspect of equality but I think it kind of it seeps into all of our lives if if mums and dads are leaving the office at four in the afternoon it kind of opens the doors for other people to ask if they can do that or have the freedom to do that and I think the flexible working culture is something um, that a lot of my friends kids or not really benefit from but also just I feel you know you're more likely to be in in meetings with other women and I don't feel that there's the same kind of London dog-eat-dog patronising male culture that I experienced in earlier parts of my career. It, it does exist. The media industry is really competitive in the UK and, you know, um, there's lots of benefits to it as well, but you can... I'm trying to think of any TV shows or things that might that might bring it bring it to life. If anyone's watched the more the morning show in the US, um, that's quite a good example of, of a newsroom. It's it's quite competitive. It can be quite patronising. It's obviously sometimes as a woman a lot about how you look. And if you watch Swedish TV, um, it's not necessarily the most glamorous people um, presenting. And 
it's not necessarily always a sort of middle-aged white male. And I think there's a lot to be done in Sweden in terms of improving diversity. But I just kind of, I don't know, felt like I was treated more like a grown-up here. But I think also that's partly to do with I moved here at the age of 33 um, and, you know, came in a management position, then was kind of setting up my own company. And I've just felt like it's a place where I've personally had a bit more freedom to to be a bit different and to be inspired by a lot of other powerful women in the media and startup scene. I love that you touched on the way that people look in the news and the media here. That's something I noticed as soon as I moved. The newscasters, how they dress, especially the weather people, the people, it's gotten better in the past few years. But at the beginning, it it just felt like, did did this guy just walk in off the street? You know, from the U.S. and and even with, obviously, the BBC, people are wearing suits and the makeup, the hair, everything is perfect. And then you come to Sweden and it's like, ah, people just grabbed a cup of coffee and dabbed a little bit of makeup and we're good to go. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's nice that everything's not not shiny and glossy. And, you know, um, one of the major news networks here is is SVT and it's funded by public money. So I think, yeah, they could also maybe learn a little bit from some other international media. I think some of the reporting isn't always as slick as it could be. And it is funny when you turn up at press conferences and everyone's chilling in their trainers or even shorts, you know, if it's a sunny day. I quite like that as well. So there's pros and cons. Can I ask something very polemic? Or maybe it's not that polemic, actually. Do you think the media here criticizes the government enough? That's a really hot topic, uh, especially during the pandemic. Um, In the beginning, there was a lot of criticism of the Swedish media for not asking probing enough questions um, at the daily, now bi-weekly, Swedish Public Health Agency uh, press conferences. And if you looked on social media, especially last spring, even Swedish journalists were saying it's always the international journalists that ask the tough questions. And when I've occasionally been in those press conferences and asked questions, I get people saying, oh, that is really good that you picked up on that. And it's bizarre. Like, it could be a week where there's um, a big spike in cases and you've got someone from Vesterbottom's Poston asking, you know, when nine-year-olds can go back to playing football. And you're kind of thinking, but hang on a minute, aren't we going to talk about whether she, whether the restrictions should be stepped up here? And yeah, I think, you know, you could, you could dedicate a whole show to that. Um, there was definitely critique at the beginning of the pandemic that the, the Swedish media was very on board and that that was very connected to this approach of trust in Sweden, that the public trust the authorities, the government trust the authorities, and therefore the strategy is probably right. And whereas the international media that were living in countries or from countries where things were being done completely differently, it was perhaps more natural for them to be more critical. So I'm not going to come out with a, with a bold statement, but I, I do think personally, having been in some of those press conferences, I was surprised that some tougher questions weren't asked. But at the same time, I also quite like some aspects of the Swedish media where if someone comes out with a controversial statement, it doesn't automatically mean that there's queues of people outside the opposition leaders' houses or, you know, trying to find out the other side of the story immediately. And, you know, these 
crowds of reporters that you that you see in in the UK and the US, for example, because I think sometimes then those people are put on the spot to come up with an alternative opinion or an alternative policy. And I think sometimes in Sweden, you'll you'll hear something controversial, and then a few days later, someone's thought about it, and then they'll react. And I quite like that thoughtfulness sometimes in the process. I can tell you one of my funny anecdotes from um, the difference between the sort of 24-hour news reporting culture that you get in the UK and the US and, and Sweden. It was when um, at Grönalund, the big amusement park in Stockholm, Mamma Mia was being launched, um, which was, it's um, I don't know if anyone hasn't heard of it, but most people may have heard of the Mamma Mia film. It's a film set in the Mediterranean using ABBA songs. And then there was this kind of cabaret food show that was being put on at Grönalund by Björn from ABBA. I still can't pronounce his surname. Sorry, Björn. And um, so they gathered various Swedish celebrities on, I think it was a blue carpet. And it was one of the first times that ABBA had ever been photographed together. And um, they, they had their photo taken on this blue carpet and then they went in. And I was there doing some reporting for the BBC World Service. And everyone went inside for the cabaret. And then all the journalists just went home. And I was faced with an editor in my in my ear saying, well, Maddie, can you please move somewhere where there's a bit more atmosphere? It sounds dead where you are. You know, where are all the celebrities? Where's all the sound effects? It's like, well, they all filed their reports and went home. Because there's no 24-hour rolling news channel. Whereas if that had been a red carpet in the UK, you'd be on the hour, every hour. This is what they were wearing. This is what they said there'd be fans outside there'd be more crews there'd be more of a buzz around it all but it was freezing and all the Swedish journalists had gone home and I was kind of a bit jealous to be honest (laughs) (laughs) so you do a lot of freelance work still for the BBC how does that work do they ask you to report on things or do you submit ideas for stories How how do you go about this It's a mix. So I usually describe myself as a a features reporter. I like to report on innovation, Swedish culture, tech. That's kind of my goal and my dream. And um, I've made a few documentaries this year. I've had a podcast. I've written a lot of articles about Swedish culture for a part of the BBC called BBC Work Life. And um, I've recently been on uh, a two day a week contract with them, although that's um, that's wrapped up recently. So that's kind of the stuff that I love doing. But then with a breaking news background, I'm kind of around and available to cover breaking news when it happens. So 2020 really kind of took me back to my day to day news reporting routes. I was filing copy for the BBC website and for radio almost every day because there was so much fascination in the Swedish strategy. And then there have been other big, big stories that have popped up since I've been here, everything from suspected Russian submarines in Swedish waters to the death of Swedish freelance journalist Kim Val, who was killed on Peter Madsen's submarine in Copenhagen, the terror attacks in Stockholm a few years ago. So every so often I'll kind of get launched into a big story. And for those stories, that will be someone from London or from Brussels ringing me up and saying, hey, can you get down there now? And maybe a crew will be flown in from another part of the world or maybe I'll work with a local camera person here. And I have to say, I do quite like the mix. Um, I'm very glad I'm not in a patch where my life is so out of control that it's completely dictated by the news cycle and there's stuff happening every day. But there is still a a bit of a a rush and an intrigue when something massive happens where you live. And I think there's also a lot of benefit to having reporters on the ground in countries that actually live there. 
because I do think you can provide a more nuanced analysis of what's going on than if you're someone that's just been flown in from the headquarters. And I feel I've been able to bring a, bring a lot through my journalism. The longer I'm here, the more I understand society and why things happen at press conferences or why people react in certain ways. And I hope that that's been educational for people that have been listening and reading to my work. What are these documentaries that you've been working on? Um, I made two in the past year. Um, one was about solutions to loneliness in Sweden. I know it's something that's been talked about on your podcast before and various other programs, this idea that Sweden is a very lonely country where a lot of people live by themselves. And actually, um, depending on how you define loneliness, it's not necessarily uh, a lonelier country than other places. But a lot of people do live alone. I think a lot of young people have struggled with loneliness and this was before the pandemic I went and looked at this experiment that's happening in Helsingborg where young people under the age of 25 have been put into the same housing block as pensioners and as part of that um, they were basically given a slightly lower rent than they would find elsewhere but they had to promise to socialize with one another two hours a week and so it was really fascinating to see how that would pan out uh, and then there was a sort of third group of people who were also under 25 but a lot of them were new immigrants to Sweden so um, I kind of followed the story of these people moving in uh, and then went back six weeks later to see how they were doing and then I actually did a follow-up towards the end of 2020 and I mean basically during the pandemic it's been quite hard to keep them apart because everyone had bonded so much they've been um, older residents have been teaching the younger ones to drive they've been playing chess and card games together baking together there was a gym some of them were even working together the experiment worked even better than the organizers expected it's called selbo if anyone wants to look it up which is the swedish word for selskop which is to sort of be to be together and bore to live but obviously during the pandemic they had to implement strategies to try and limit interactions so they could only really meet outside but it was also amazing how being in that community even if you weren't socializing together it was really helpful because the younger people were able to go and get shopping for the elderly people they were at least able to sort of see each other outside and see different faces and when I looked back in um, I think it was the end of November so I don't know what the latest statistics are but they'd only had one suspected Covid case so I think it also says a lot about the young people that were living there that they'd obviously been quite cautious in their lives outside of the property in order to protect the older residents. So that was one documentary and looked at some other more techie startup efforts to um, decrease loneliness as well. Some of the apps like GoFriendly, which is an app for women trying to make friends um, in Stockholm. And yeah, some of the kind of science and psychology behind loneliness and friendship. And then uh, the second documentary came out earlier this year and it was about how to make your stuff last longer. And the, the sort of background to this was that Sweden cut taxes for repairs on things like white goods, you know, washing machines, fridges, also getting your shoes and bikes repaired a few years ago. So the premise was to kind of look into whether that had had a massive impact, actually Various researchers don't think that is the main driver for the repairs movement in Sweden, but certainly the mix of the kind of trendiness, I suppose, of sustainability, the inspiration of Greta Thunberg. I think this is a country where people are uh, trying to be a lot more climate aware. So we looked at some of the different startups that are trying to encourage us to, for example, get your bike repaired by getting it picked up by someone. They take it away, they fix it and they bring it back, which brings a lot more convenience into the situation rather than 
having to find a shop, go and take it, book a time. So that was really fun. But I think it's also really interesting that Sweden is often held up as this pioneer of tackling climate change and being really green. But actually, Swedes are some of the highest consumers on the planet. So, you know, we heat our homes all through the winter. It's a kind of wealthy population that often wants the latest gadgets. So there can be a bit of a disconnect, I think, sometimes between this image of Sweden as a real do-gooder in the green sector and the reality of what the some of the statistics suggest. So the doc also digs into that. Can I get my shoes repaired and get tax back from that? Like you, I, I think I you it, just brushed through it, but I was like, <laughs> have I been like paying extra tax on this? Well, it was up to the the cobblers to decide how to affect their structure but i think the tax went down to to six percent from um 25 do you guys mind if i look that up just so that we get it get it right but it's okay uh, so it's not root up drive or that thing that's what i thought it was there no i don't um, have to send to skatteverket my receipts of last year no that, resold that, my shoes no that should be done at the point of sale damn it diego do you have shoes that are so expensive that you actually sell them when you're done i mean i just give mine to a secondhand store so i have shoes that are like cheaply made let's say like tennis shoes you can't resold so i just as you said, like, yeah, give them away. Right. But like my boots, my boots, I've always had them. I just resold them. I've resold them only only once. So just the boots, actually. Well, you do have to get quality boots. So I get that. Shall I give you this the spiel now? I think I've got the facts right. So basically what changed 2017 was that VAT was cut from 25% to 12% if you were getting, say, your bike repaired or your shoes repaired. And then there's also a tax refund if you get white goods repaired within your home. So if you actually pay someone to come in and fix your washing machine, there's a massive tax cut. I think it's actually 50% of the cost of the labour. And that's designed to encourage people to do that rather than go out and buy something new. Because the thing is, often if something breaks in your kitchen, it does make you think, maybe I'll get a new washing machine or, or maybe it's time to redo the kitchen. And a lot of the companies offer these kind of incentives. Plus, you've got all the deals on days like Black Friday and sales. So often it can be almost as expensive to replace as it is to repair. So Sweden's been trying to put various um, incentives in place to make it easier for people. But the fact that, you know, you guys are living here and it's not super widely known amongst you, I think, shows the limitations of these policies. And that's part of what the documentary delves into, to to look into the, the ways forward to get more people to repair. Has anyone here repaired anything? Because besides my shoes, I don't have any appliances. I got my dishwasher fixed soon after doing the documentary. And I got my bike serviced um, with this new app, which picks up your bike, takes it away and brings it back. The downside of that is that they're still picking up the bikes using cars, but they do try and sort of fit four, five, six bikes on the back of the bike rack. And their plan when the weather's better is to do it via cycling. But that made things very convenient for me. I'm a big fan of convenience when it comes to repairs. And I sewed up a pair of trousers while I was making the documentary because I was just reading so much about waste. But um, yeah, now my um, my hob is broken in my apartment and it probably will cost me more to get it fixed than, than replaced. So it is, a, it is a challenge. So Maddie, you are quite active. And I was going to ask you, you, you get out and do a lot, but you have some really good tips and tricks and things of like, like, what do you do and where do you go and... What would you recommend to people? Um, 
I did get together a bit of a list of breakfasty brunch places because one of my favourite things to do pre-pandemic is go for a run with friends and then go for a brunch or breakfast. So I'm incredibly lucky that one of my favourite things to do is pretty much the most pandemic-friendly activity um, that you could do. Obviously much safer to eat brunch outside these days and now the weather's good and lots of places have got their um, terraces open and things. So I love an acai bowl, which was kind of trendy a few years ago (laughs) it's acai berries and inside it you get peanut butter and granola and bananas mahalo on Horngarten is a really good cafe for that there's another one in Auden plan really nice vibe there almost everything i think is vegetarian they do nice salads as well and then a shout out to my little neighborhood cafe our beer cafe i live in midsummer cranston telephone plan area which is a few stops away from from uh, the sort of mainland of Stockholm. And it's a really nice area. A lot of um, hipster families have moved here, basically, that couldn't afford to live in the city and a lot of media types. So if that's not your thing, maybe avoid. But this cafe is really lovely and uh, they do great Sunday breakfasts and they're really friendly. And I've basically sat there shivering in the cold with my local neighbours throughout the pandemic. And uh, it's been wonderful to be in a neighbourhood where I have local friends and a little local cafe because I think a lot of people don't necessarily find that when they move abroad or when you live in the city centre it can be a bit more anonymous with people passing through between meetings in pre-pandemic times whereas in your local neighbourhood you you often see the same faces and makes me feel cosy and at home. Well Maddie do you have any other tips for us uh, places to go in Sweden or that you've enjoyed or I've got an ice cream tip for you guys I heard you talking about ice creams on a recent um, episode I got the boat out to Vaxholm from Stockholm recently and there's a really nice ice cream place on the corner where the boats drop you and I wrote it down for you it's called Glasspohornet which means ice cream on the corner and I spent some time in Italy last year and I would say that this ice cream I had in Vaxholm is one of the best ice creams I've had in my life. So flavor-wise, was it different stuff than you usually see? or I had blood red orange. La cream, la cream. Oh, no Swedish. No no licorice Swedish. No, 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 no. Can I tell you a little um, uh, licorice anecdote though? So I absolutely love Sweden. There's so much I adore about it. But the lack of small talk is something that I struggle with, as do many expats. And I often gave this analogy to friends back in the UK about where I miss it. Because I don't want some stranger chatting to me on the bus. But say you went into a supermarket and you bought like 50 chocolate cakes in the UK. And that's the only thing in your trolley. The person behind the checkout would say, um, oh, you're having a party? Someone's birthday? There'd be some reference to the fact that a very small woman is buying 50 cakes for herself. But in Sweden, I just said to people, well, they'd probably just say nothing and it would be like, beep, beep, beep. But I'd never actually backed this up. And one of my close friends in the UK turned 40 recently and her um, husband, there you go, there's a clue to my upcoming age. Um, And one of my uh, friend's husbands organised a kind of, basically a treasure trove of gifts to arrive at their house from friends all over the UK and around the world. So I went to uh, an Ica and I bought 
20 different kinds of licorice because it's her favorite thing. I had an entire trolley full of licorice, so I got to put this to the test. Did anyone mention, why are you only buying licorice? Why do you have an entire trolley full of licorice? No. And it cost me so much money to send it back to the UK with all the new post-Brexit postal tariffs, but apparently she loved it and it'll last her forever. (laughs) And I'm glad that you got to test that theory. I would have bet on that they wouldn't say a word about it. And it's um, sadly satisfying to know I'm right. (laughs) I wish I wasn't. I haven't had that experience, though. Like when I go to my local hem shop and like, you know, they're all super chatty. This was a big branch in the city center. Yeah, I think Um, I think it's about the city center versus the outskirts. Also, I think if it's a younger, younger, younger person, they won't talk to you. But the older the staff, the more they want to talk. Definitely. It could be. Did I ever tell you guys the story of like when Peter and I first started dating and he said to me, stop flirting with everyone. And I'm like, I'm not flirting. (laughs) And then we went to the US and he got to meet my family and my dad, we were at like Universal Studios. He was standing in line and to the guy behind him, he's like, oh, hey, buddy, I like your shorts. Like, and it just struck up this conversation. And Peter turned to me and he goes, I understand you. (laughs) You're not flirting. And I'm like, no, it's 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 a culture thing. Well, I think we're almost out of time, so we should wrap things up. But if we want to see your documentaries, Maddie, where would we find those? Um, You can find them probably most easily by going to my website, which is maddiesavage.com. And on there, there'll be links to my docs, articles, um, and masses of work (laughs) that I've probably devoted too much of my time doing. So, yeah, check it out. Wonderful. And your podcast? What is that called? So I my podcast is is no more, but um, I interviewed a lot of people living in Stockholm in the tech and startup scene a few years ago. There's three seasons. You'll find them on Acast. It's called The Stockholmer. They're bite-sized 15-minute episodes. And um, pre-Zoom, pre-pandemic, I'm actually going into people's offices, kitchens, homes to, to find out more about their lives. So if you want to take a step back in time, go for it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks. I don't feel I've been in any way your most interesting guest. And I feel like Diego and Shane are like tired today. I've seen these guys in real life. <laughs> I was going to message that uh, you're raising the bar because now we can't even interrupt you. Just like, no, the other no, way. No, like no. usually we have to pull the information from the guests. And fascinating too, honestly, if we had no time limit. I, th- I think my problem is I tend to go off the subject a little bit and I would love to ask you so much more about your reporting stories and working for the BBC. But we do a part, a yeah. part two off the podcast. I mean, you guys know <laughs> each other now. We might have to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really nice show though. It uh, feels very familiar and cozy and yeah, I enjoyed my little train journey, so. Aww. Thank you. And it's so nice meeting you virtually. And hopefully when things clear up, we can do something with some of our podcast guests. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. All right. Well, stay safe, everyone. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. I'm sorry, I've got no cute pets or kids. I'll I'll show you some of my plants.
I have kept 12 plants alive during the pandemic. I think that is one of the greatest achievements in my life. <laughs> I can see it behind you. Good work, Diego. All right. Hey, Dor. Cut the boring stuff. Bye. <laughs>